Good morning and welcome to The Cusp. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Chrissy. Hello. Colin. Hello. Craig. Hello. And Susie. Hello. Uh, first thing we have to do today is we've got some more email from Philip and he says, Hi, I'm trying to get involved in the sceptical movement and not just sit on the fence. Very happy to hear you guys here in New Zealand. Oh, now Philip wanted to talk about um, pharmacies. Uh, apparently his wife went to buy something for my six-month-old and was shown to the homeopathic section. That made my blood boil. Uh, chemists are not there to sell quack cures. People believe them to be well-educated and medically trained. I know there is an open letter at the moment to pharmacies and chemists in Australia. Uh, can we discuss on the shows or give me some ideas? And um, yes, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about that because I think that's a good idea. Um, I know Philip has also been to the mailing lists. He's uh, sent a message to the Skeptics mailing list asking the same question, and I know there's some interest on there. So what's the easiest thing to do probably is to suggest that everyone that's interested in contributing should join the New Zealand Skeptics mailing list and read up the history and uh, join in there. But yes, I think that's something we should do. I don't know who's going to organise that, but I'm sure the Skeptics... Can, um, can muster up some money to pay for an ad in the paper. Hmm. Yeah, and what I think we need to do is actually see if there's any doctors or any anybody who can... Um, we can start getting some groups involved. We could start with the rationalists and the sceptics, but also get some sort of medical groups, paediatricians and things, um, see if they'll get involved with us and sign the letter. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, some pharmacists. Hmm. If we can find some pharmacists yeah. that can um, give us some help and feedback and sign something yeah so maybe everybody should go to their local pharmacy and see what the the stand of the their local pharmacist i I think i think there's a problem in new zealand though and that the homeopathy is a brand that's sort of quite confused and that most people think that homeopathy is actually herbal remedies rather than being watered down essentially water watered down water (laughs) we we had an experience today in that we went to the pet shop to try to purchase something that uh, would calm down our dog when we take him <laughs> take him in the car and uh, what was offered to us were homeopathic remedies however when we went and had a look at the bottles they were actually herbal uh, herbal based products so there's there's quite a lot of confusion i think and that um, the the manufacturers are using homeopathy as a as a brand name essentially yeah um, you're misclassifying mis- mis- it. it, yes, yes. And I think that's one of the problems, that if we try and do this in New Zealand, if we, if sceptics rail against homeopathy, then it's going to be perceived as, well, what are they talking about? Because it's actually some of these things actually do have some ingredients in them that, that supposedly could work. What that suggests to me, straight off the bat, is the first thing's needed probably is an educational approach. Did you know that homeopathy is actually this? Mm. Uh, because that's Graham said that last time. He said that uh, most people don't realise what homeopathy actually is, and he says that's the most effective way he's found to sort of start the argument with people, trying to convert people, is to tell them what it actually is and what it's supposed to do. Uh, that effectively, it's just magic. And just quickly before I forget, Susie said something about um, oh, going into your pharmacy and having a look. The New Zealand sceptics are trying to set up a, a section on the website um, where you can go and see lists of pharmacies that are not pushing homeopathy. So if you get a chance to pop into your local pharmacy and ask them some questions and then send an email to Vicky 
at the New Zealand Skeptics and let her know, um, especially if you can find a pharmacy that doesn't provide homeopathy or at least doesn't or can give you some some good advice about it are they limiting it to just homeopathy because the one down the road from us does air candles <laughs> and that's right at the main desk and right it's sort of um it pushed my button like you know philip said finding the homeopathy or being referred to it made his blood boil you know seeing the air candles just yeah i asked a couple of questions um, but I I didn't have my head about me correctly to sort of ask anything too terribly sort of confrontational. So I just thought <laughs> I just thought right I just you know got the lady's opinion and then left it at that. But yeah, will it be just homeopathy or are they going to? If you fo- well, that's the sort of thing. Just ping that as an email to Vicky, or there may be a contact us form on the website. I think um, that's skeptics.org.nz someone double check that for me and I'll re-record it if it's wrong Um, and you can let let Vicky know uh, that sort of thing and I think it would make sense because even even if we're focusing on homeopathy things like air candles are really dangerous or can be really dangerous and so I think it's worthwhile having a section as well where you can say hey um you know this is what air candles is and you probably shouldn't go to this pharmacy because they recommend cool. wouldn't it be cool if you could walk into a pharmacy and see a plaque on the wall that said proudly supplying yeah. science based medicines only <laughs> uh, uh, approved by the New Zealand skeptics that is, that is, yeah. I'm sure they'd all display that proudly <laughs> okay so that's basically what Philip wanted to talk about um, and just a kudos and, and general praise from oh, not another one <laughs> no no these are good I don't want to do the joke where everybody has to say something nice about us because the SGU are already doing that. But if you do want to say something nice, that's fine. But we'll also take criticism. Um, Alistair McKenzie just wanted to say thanks for starting a New Zealand-based podcast. And he lists all the other podcasts that he listens to. Don't talk about them. No, no, I'm not going to mention them. Anyway, brilliant work. It's great having a local taste of scepticism usually i have to read up from my multiple new zealand sources however having you present it to me via podcast will save me time so at least we're saving people some time (laughs) and he's gonna he's gonna um mention it at his next meeting with the reason and science society so hello everybody from the reason and science society wow who are they don't say that jeez (laughs) now i'm gonna go back and re-record it so they don't hear us saying who are they I don't know who they are. So that's our email for this week. Thank you, everybody, who emailed in. News items. Some interesting things in the world of scepticism and the paranormal and, I guess, faith and religion. Um, probably the most important and I think the most relevant to to uh, everyday life, um, the most serious news item I could find, was um, boob quake. <laughs> um, atheists try to create a boob quake. Well, it's good to see that the boob quake actually got some... Um, registering in the actual mainstream news. Oh, okay, I didn't see that. Yeah. Well, anything with boobs. <laughs> Effectively, a Muslim cleric, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, uh, screw him, was quoted as saying, many women who do not dress modestly lead young men astray, corrupt their chastity, and spread adultery in society, which consequently increases earthquakes. Now, I was following him right up to that last bit. <laughs> All good, and then something bad. 
So now we've been blamed for earthquakes. Yeah. Okay, so what that what happened is a blogger known as Blag Hag, thank you, who suggested the idea of a boob quake. So they set an arbitrary date, and everybody was to dress immodestly. What was the date? Twenty sixth of April. That was actually. Oh, it's my birthday. Twenty sixth of April. Yeah. Happy birthday, Susie. What they should try and do is get boobs on bikes rescheduled to that day as well. That would be huge. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Earthquakes, yes. So if, if enough women, if enough women and presumably some men bear their cleavage in public, it should cause an earthquake. And the best bit. I don't think it applies to man boobs. Um. Well, no, not not in this context. Not in this context. But there were some people, uh, some photos of some men joining in just to. Uh, show solidarity and um, the best bit of course is that they did cause an earthquake there was an earthquake on the day but in terms of statistical significance well sorry hang on hang on hang on. you're trying to tell me that the correlation doesn't equal causation because <laughs> it was actually interesting to read the the blog of the of the um the woman who organized it she's a student at a and studying science at, at some university in the States and actually it goes into quite a lot of detail about how even though there were earthquakes on the day there was no significant, statistically significant increase in the number of earthquakes. Okay, well, that does make sense. Good. Good to know. Um, so from boob quake to staring at boobs. Yes. <laughs> Five years of life. I'm 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 holding on to my scepticism card for the moment for this one. Um, a rather bizarre study carried out by German researchers suggests, and it cuts off the page. The essence of the article is that uh, men who stare at boobs for ten minutes a day is equivalent to um, aerobic exercise session of 30 minutes and it, uh, they claim that it could increase your lifespan by five years. Oh yeah! yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody print out a copy for me, I am taking that home. <laughs> so yes, you'll officially have permission to stare at women's breasts. Uh, in addition, she also recommended that men over 40 should gaze at larger breasts daily <laughs> for 10 minutes. Now, this is the bit that confuses me. The German research is believed to be published in the New England Journal of Medicine. <laughs> yeah, I noted that they yeah. said believed to be. I don't know whether that's just because the article had to go to press in a hurry and they didn't have time to check that it had been published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So or... what's the... Have you got any information for me? Any authors' names, anything like that? Oh, Dr. Karen Weatherby. I bet you there are researchers lining up, <laughs> probably <laughs> male, to try and back up this study. Yeah. To do some research. Yeah, to, <laughs> I wonder yeah, if they're, they're, they're wanting to duplicate and, and uh, was it replicate, probably in triplicate, the, uh, the results. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like for 20 minutes a day. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, yeah, so if it is a legitimate um, study, uh, then absolutely, I'm sure they're um, just dying to do it, it again. Does it say they're naked breasts, Nathan, or through clothes? Uh, it doesn't say that here specifically. Well, I'm sure the effect would be enhanced if they were naked. Yes, I'm very, sure. very <laughs> probably. <laughs> yes. But harder to you'd, do. You'd probably, uh, is it three, three minute boobs? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's a three minutes a day. <laughs> Ten minutes, I think they said. It's not going to work. Any exercise routine you have to do for 10 minutes isn't going to sell on an information. <laughs> There's no Weatherby now, uh, no K Weatherby recently on PubMed. There's something about the effects of short cycle sprints on power, strength and salivary hormones in elite rugby players, but nothing... You're not saying it could be a hoax. I certainly can't find her. No, no. no. La, 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 I'm not listening. 
it could be that it is yet to be published. You can take your signs and go. <laughs> Sorry. We will cherry pick all we like. I reject your reality and substitute my own. Are we going to continue on to the knickers now that we've Oh, let's discussed? talk about the knickers. Shall I talk about the knickers? Okay. So, um, this is Marks and Spencers. Uh, will everybody in New Zealand know who Marks and Spencers? No, you better tell us. Marks and Spencers is a wonderful, wonderful shop in the UK um, which sells, uh, yeah, knickers and bras, um, but also kind of women's clothes and children's clothes and men's clothes and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, so it's, it is where most people in the UK buy their knickers and their undies from. Um, so, they have put out a new product uh, um, called the Anti-Cellulite Firm Control Waist and Thigh uh, Cincture Knickers, £29.50. So, what's that? About $70 maybe? $80? Right, I'll read you the stuff from their webpage. These amazing knickers have three active natural ingredients. Are you ready for this? Caffeine to slim and tone. Vitamin E to help protect against aging and soothing aloe vera to smooth. These are held in place by millions of micro bubbles, then released onto your skin as you move. So it oozes out. Well, you should see them, my goodness. So they go from about mid-thigh up to almost underneath the bosom, and they're very, very tight. Um, they certainly look very, very tight. So what you're yeah. suggesting is... Uh, wait, wait, wait one minute. In an independent trial, women felt their skin had visually improved and their clothes felt less tight, probably because they were wearing these extremely tight knickers. Anyway, for maximum results, it's re recommended the knickers be worn for, are you ready? Yeah. 8 to 10 hours a day, 6 days a week for 28 days. Results will vary depending on blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so... So, anyway, I, so. I take it with these molecules bound to the knickers. <laughs> you're, you're not supposed to wash them or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, two consultant plastic surgeons and a dermatologist have told Witch Magazine, which is basically the um, like a consumer... Uh, magazine in the UK. Oh, so it's, um, it's not a magazine for witches. Which question mark? Um, that very tight pants without ad ingredients would have essentially the same effect because really wearing really tight garments essentially squeezes the fluid out of your cells. So uh, you would, you well, exactly. So it would basically um, reduce the appearance of cellulite. Um, but this actually this brings me on to something that really pisses me off about uh, advertising of of mainly women's products because there are thousands and thousands of things um every women's magazine has you know hundreds of pages of adverts on it and they all have you know some these outlandish claims you know have this product for your skin you'll look 20 years younger da 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 and they all have a really tiny little asterisk and then at the bottom they say in trials of 20 women or 30 women or even 40 women all based on an it, it all based on a, sur on a on a questionnaire and it's just all i can scream is confirmation bias you know these women want to look younger that's why they've bought the damn product that's why they'll say oh of course i look 20 years younger you know they don't and it just oh it, oh it drives me insane I shall not be okay. going and buying a pair of these knickers. Deep breath, count to ten. Calm down, Susie. Can you get your glass of water, please? <sighs> Sorry. So, so that's the knickers, and it's just, oh, it's just sad. Very sad. And people are buying them, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure they are. There was one on Campbell Live not too long ago that uh, they were purporting to have biocrystals uh, embedded in the fabric, and they were um, the the... Uh, oh, what am I trying to say? Giving off infrared uh, radiation. 
that was supposed to melt away the cellulite. <laughs> yeah. I see. And uh, yeah, the the lady that they got on, you know, very confident in the little spiel that she had to say, and the annoying thing that was no one there to ask her, well, if it's infrared radiation, you know, you should be able to measure that. You know, uh, no one asked the question. And Where's she the energy coming from? Yeah, she basically got away with it, scot free, and it was a really good ad for her undies. She might not necessarily have been wearing it at the time. <laughs> okay, just really quickly um, Area 51 vets break silence. Some uh, US uh, Air Force uh, officers have been talking about Area 51, the... Uh, the military base. Was that Nevada? It is in Nevada. There's actually a little map, which I thought was quite interesting on the uh, article. Shows you exactly where Area 51 is. And oh, I sort of got, it's there. It's Groom Lake, Nevada. And a uh, huge arrow pointing directly at it. The reason these guys are talking now is that the, they've been released from their confidentiality, Freedom of Information Act, and so forth and so forth. But the problem with what happens in this sort of situation, I think, is the... Air Force decide that something's classified and then it stays classified. I mean, back in the 50s, there was probably a good reason for this to be classified. Uh, and it had nothing to do with aliens, of course, that's the, the crux of the article. But, I mean, we're near, here we are 60 years later and they've only just gotten around to declassifying it and deciding that it's now safe to tell people that they were trying to develop some sort of secret spy plane. The guy that they interviewed said they were um, con- uh, building and testing the SR-71 uh, Blackbird. And yes. um, yeah. that, yeah, for for the time, you know, that was some pretty far out technology. And I guess uh, well, a secret spy plane that broke records at documented speeds that have still not been matched. So fast plane. And it went from I was at top speed. It went from coast to coast over continental US in I think fifteen minutes. Wow. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quite impressive, quite. So the article's quite long, and it goes into quite a bit of uh, detail, the interview with this guy. So if you're interested in what actually happened at Area 51, feel free to uh, check the links on our website or in the show notes and uh, have a read through that. Of course, the UFO nuts are not going to be convinced. Proof for the conspiracy. That's just further proof that there's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. This guy's lying or making it up or whatever. They're just feeding us this lame story to cover up the alien. Indeed. But I can vouch personally. I've been given large sums of money by the US Air Force <laughs> to assure everybody that there are no aliens at Area 51. Now, I hope you're going to share that money around. Uh, and my second to last news item is about the Pope receiving an apology from the UK Foreign Office. Now, what happened, effectively, is a junior-ish member of the office was sitting down in a brainstorming session with some other people and came up with a memo for suggestions for activities that the Pope could undertake during his visit. The ideas were... Opening a brothel, apologising for sex abuse. Yeah. Do a gay marriage... Uh, yeah, yeah. Officiating, officiating a gay, gay marriage, marriage. ceremony. <laughs> I think the point, of course, is that it was never intended to be released as a serious memo. And what it says in the article I saw was that uh, what they were doing effectively was brainstorming and going outside the box to try and come up with some sensible suggestions for things that the Pope could do while he's on his visit. Now, I think it's hilarious. Over a few beers, probably. Mm. 
for how it got lost. Yeah, and so, but the, the point of the article, of course, is that they're now apologising for it, uh, which, of course, is just really infuriating because screw him, he deserves to be made fun of. <laughs> um, I can see why you would, I guess, if you're the government, you have to apologise to the... No, then why do they have to apologise? Because it's a head of state. No, he's not he's a not head, head of state. state. He's That's the, the whole point. The city isn't a state. No, not officially. You remember when we were talking about um, Dawkins and arresting the Pope and blah, blah, blah? The lawyers that were researching this have basically said that they don't think that the Vatican counts as an official... It's not a real state. State, I guess. Yeah. State isn't the word I'm looking for, but yeah. Where's the city? Um, Vatican City. So he's the mayor then. And they've got their own laws. They make, they've yeah. only, they've usually gone off uh, Italian law, but now they've distanced themselves and not just uh, automatically adopting Italian mm. law. And will Anyway, we're not lawyers. No, no, we're not. Yeah. Um, but, but for example, um, it's not recognised by the UN as a separate country. So there really isn't any reason... Uh, why anyone has to be polite to the Pope in this day and age. Because the very next article I was going to, um, I was going to talk about, priest gets in trouble for molesting children. Oh. And Now, I haven't actually got a news article in front of me because this just is a just generic article, all is it? over the news. <laughs> it's just constantly, every day, there's some new news item that involves a priest and molestation of of children and women and family members, and it's it's just a joke. I mean, it's it was it, no, it used to be a joke. It used to be a joke. People made made fun of the idea, you know, the the you've seen the South Park episode and blah blah blah. But it's just it's exploded in the last few months. I, I guess also leave. it's people coming forward now. Yes, They're starting to report what's been going on, realizing that. No, these guys, you know, might be given a, a place in society of uh, a higher standing, but you know, everyone's starting to realise that no, that's that's they're not allowed to do this. They don't have the power to do it, and yeah, starting to fight back. Yeah. Now, this actually raises a, a good point. Um, being sceptics is the question of how many of these new accusations, because simply because there's so many of them how many of them are true, and whether there's a percentage, however small, of people who are joining the bandwagon yeah. for whatever reason, for attention, for well, money. Like almost like a Munchausen's by proxy. I don't think that's the exact well, thing. Well, isn't that the one is. where you... Where, oh, that's Munchausen, where you hurt No, Munchausen's your, by proxy is where you hurt your children. Yeah. Oh, so they want attention, you mean? Yeah, they do it for attention. Yeah. Attention-seeking. Attention. Yeah, so. um, so it's, like, it's like the people who claim that they were... Um, Injured as part of uh, 9 11 yeah. and um, yeah. ground compensation. Yeah. Or a car accident where you have a car accident, all of a sudden everyone throws themselves on the ground and starts talking about their sore neck. Yeah. Uh, and some of the people that are remembering things may actually be genuinely remembering something they think has happened to them. And there may some, be some people who are just opportunistic as well. So I think that's something we should probably be bearing in mind uh, while we're criticising the Catholic Church is that not all of them are necessarily true. But of course, that doesn't excuse anybody for anything, and um, I'm quite personally very pleased with the direction things seem to be going at the moment in terms of things coming to light and people maybe getting the idea that this isn't acceptable and that we need to do something to put a stop to it, whatever that may be. The interesting thing that's been uh, speculated upon about the um, the scandal about the uh, the suggestions for the Pope's visit to the UK was that um, well well maybe that was kind of um, 
hoped for by the Vatican to give them an excuse not for having yeah. the Pope not turn not up, turn up but <laughs> because they took offence at it yeah. and, and thus avoiding the potential to be arrested. <laughs> yes. Hmm. So, um, we have some more news stories. Should we do? Okay. I have one other news story. Uh, I don't know if it's related or not. Belgian lawmakers pass burqa ban. Uh, well, yay for alliteration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Points for alliteration. Um, on the face of it, um, I have to say that I don't approve. I get what I get. What you're getting at. It's, it sounds like exciting. Okay. We're we're, we're burqas are a bad thing. I don't think we all agree on, agree on that in general. What I don't like is the idea that a government is banning people from wearing them. Um, and if you look at it the other way, uh, what would you say to a government that had passed a law that said that all women must wear burqas? I don't think anyone here would be t- terribly pleased with that idea. It's because they could do the 10 minutes of the boob watching, couldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, if everyone wore burqas, um, men would all die earlier. But, yeah, so no, I'm not, I'm not in favour of banning burqas per se, any more than I am of the, another news article that I didn't read out about uh, banning Scientology material. I don't think that's a good thing because that's just censorship. Government's stepping over the line a little bit. With the burqas, though, there's been... um, uh, There's a terrorist group in the Middle East, just just to be generic, um, where the lady that's organising it all has basically taken advantage of the fact that they have to wear burqas over there and that women aren't allowed to be searched. They strap on a bomb vest... They're not allowed to be searched. They walk straight through checkpoints and kill people. And you know, I understand that, yes, in uh, the rest of the civilised world, uh, that sort of thing is not happening. But from a serious security issue, um, it's going to, you know, uh, uh, there's going to be a guy put on a burqa and go wandering into a bank insert institution. Uh, in fact, wasn't this how one of the... Um at the when the bombings in the London happened, the guy I think was trying to escape dressed as a, a woman. He tried to leave the country dressed in a burqa, and they realised he was really really tall. I think didn't walk right. So it's it's not a, it's not a black and white. It's not a yes or a no. Um, and if you actually read the article a bit closer, it does actually specifically say the law would ban any clothing that obscures the identity of the wearer in places like parks and on the street. Uh, now, I'm still opposed to that, but you raised a very good point, Colin, about things like banks yeah. and driver's licences. I'm not allowed to wear a motorbike helmet into a bank. I'm not allowed to wear sunglasses, I'm not allowed to wear a hat. Or hoodies <laughs> and malls. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's just another item of clothing that obscures mm. oh, identity. I've boobs for 10 minutes a day, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> to go in <laughs> So I think the, the real crux of the matter is that the burqa shouldn't be given any special treatment whatsoever. And that, I think, would be the, the ultimate solution, is if you're not supposed to cover your face or cover your head, like a bank, then burqa counts. You have to take your burqa off. If you want to walk around on the street, or the face mask veil. Or bank on the internet. Or do your event on the internet. If you want to walk down the street and wear a burqa... Knock yourself out. If you want to walk down the street wearing nothing at all, personally, I have no problem with that, um, as long as you're not fat. Having said that, I wouldn't necessarily be in talking about banning fat people from walking around naked. I'm just saying I'd prefer they didn't. <laughs>
So don't don't vote for me in the next election. <laughs> Seriously, I would abuse my power. Oh dear. <clears throat> Can we do some more stories? Sorry, sorry, fat people. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Um, I'd like to tell everybody about um about a curse. So there's a, currently a parliamentary inquiry into tobacco in New Zealand, sorry, into tobacco in New Zealand, where everyone can basically, it's very easy, there's essentially a website and you can just put your submission on the website to say um, what effect uh, smoking has had on you or your family or, you know, whether you agree with it, whether you disagree with it. Um, and somebody um, has put uh, his submission as basically an old Maori curse. So uh, this man is an authority on traditional culture and he's basically come up with a curse um, which he has dedicated to destroying tobacco manufacturers. And so um, he has submitted this. Oh, that's quite nice, really. Um, there's much more to say about that. Well, hang on, no, no, no. What are they trying to achieve with the, with the um, inquiry? Are they trying to figure out whether tobacco is actually bad? No, 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 this is... Um... No, we want to take a vote. What does the public think? So what they're doing is they're collecting anecdotal evidence, is that right? Um, I'm not sure it's even that. I mean, they've already made up that... Well, it's very clear the effect that tobacco has. And um, it's almost sort of... I kind of feel like it's almost trying to gain su- uh, gather support for the kinds of things the government is doing. So, I mean, the the newspaper yesterday was full of, you know, they're going to raise the price of not only cigarettes, but also um, loose tobacco, which they haven't been doing. They're now going to start doing that. And it's going to go up quite significantly over the next few years. Um, what else are they going to do? There was, so there's the cost of it. They're going to start trying to... Try well, to what they're doing in Australia is making the packets generic, so yep. that they're basically so plain no packaging. Kind of branding almost, yeah. Yes, they put the taxes up. The bit taxes up, which yeah, which effectively essentially makes it about seventeen dollars for a packet of cigarettes too. But you know, the the aim really is to have tobacco. One of the things that you know, in ten years' time, is going to be an illegal substance almost that people won't be taking it. You'll only be able to buy it through Switched On Gardener. The completely unnecessary sceptical podcast has no opinion whatsoever of any items sold at the Switched On Gardener. People will be growing their own in, in, their, in their basement. Well, no, no, I need to ask the question. Why did this guy send the curse? What was his point? Is he trying to stop them from banning... T- no, no, it's an anti... It's to destroy the t- tobacco manufacturers. Oh. Maybe he's hoping this will give it strength. This will, you know, this will give them a dose of okay. the tobacco company. Yes, sorry, did you not get Thank that? Thank you. Right. No, I didn't get that at all. I'm sure I said that. So so when they're out of business in 10 years' time, he'll be able to claim success, success from, yes, his from his curse. Yes, yes, from his curse. Yeah. So see, I did that curse in 2010. <laughs> 2010. <laughs> Shall we do the GM? I guess we have to do the GM cows, really, don't we? Do you want to start with that one? Yeah, there was a there was an article um, in initially from um, Hawke's Bay Today, from my hometown, um, and there's some complaints by um, anti-GM activists about um, a trial that um, supposedly went wrong um, at Ag Research, how they where they were um, genetically modifying um, calves and. Um, in order to, I believe, produce more milk. No, they are trying to produce milk that has um, has extra things in it. So this was about a growth hormone, I think, that uh, they're trying to basically make it so that this growth hormone will hormone will be in the milk, and they are it's it's a potential. 
a therapy for infertility. So it's not just regular milk. They're trying to produce. Yeah. So and and this is this is one of presumably a whole load of things that they're trying. Um, that would be therapies for all sorts of uh, human diseases, I guess, or conditions, um, which is basically to put these genes into the or modify the material going into the egg and then implant that and get that when that calf is born it's a genetically engineered calf um, and then see whether things happen so this this came out of a freedom of information uh, request that GM activists have put to ag research and they released the data on this trial which showed that um, that they had indeed been uh, a, an effect they were not expecting on um, two of the calves two out of three died um, yeah apparently well apparently four calves were had died because oh, okay, their, their ovaries four. grew too large um I, I, what i heard was that two had died and then they culled the last one obviously because then they would have expected that one to have died and then one was a control one and it didn't have and it didn't have the ovaries that had done anything unusual what annoyed me about the reporting of this is that the that the um the researchers have done nothing wrong. They are they are doing uh they're doing experiments to try and find something out. This is the sort of the you know, one study on a very long path of studies. Um they got results that they didn't expect. At all times they told the ethics panel what was happening and were told to monitor things. When the animals started to die, they then stopped the study and culled the remaining animals. I mean it's just it's just something that has basically is a chance for them to go, Oh my god, what are people doing? You Scientists are all evil, da da da. I mean, this is kind of the sort of thing that they're trying to trying to say is going to happen is that things are going to mutate wildly and take over the world and everyone's going to die, and this seems to support their position. Well, it's just it's science. It's doing something. They, you know, the scientists got an unexpected result. Now they know the answer. This wasn't a trial that went wrong. It was an experiment, and this was the answer to the experiment. And the answer was not what they were expecting. But that didn't mean it went wrong. It was just the answer. They're trying to raise it also as an emotive issue yeah. about yeah, how uh, GM research is cruel to animals. And in fact, the they noted that the treatment of the calves, the calves were treated better than they would have been if they were dairy calves. So. so so not a bad thing, but they're trying to make out that it is. Yeah, yeah. And the quote from the um, the guy at Ag Research is that this was not intended to happen, but bluntly, this is what research is all about. Yeah. So you have to try these things and. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. It's it's life happens. This this is the answer to the the question, and they didn't they weren't expecting it, but that's the answer. So you move on from there. You learn from it, and you either don't do that strategy again, or you change your strategy. Those cows had been removed from the gene pool. And, uh... <laughs> Okay, so is that all the news? There one more. Do you want the, the um? They have the oh yeah, we have to do this one. They have the power to switch off your brain. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find the paper. But anyway, okay. So um, this is a story about um, some people in Denmark have done a study um using functional MRI. So this is basically a technique to scan what they've scanned the brain, um, blood flow in the brain, and it shows you which bits of the brain are active. So what they did was they took um. 20 uh, religious people and 20 non-believers and they did these scans on their brains while they were um, playing them recorded prayers. Uh, they were told that six of the prayers were read by a non-Christian, uh, six by an ordinary Christian and six by a healer, whereas in fact they were all just read by ordinary Christians. Who don't do healing. Essentially what, yeah, so it was all about um, 
that's that's very important. It was basically a, um, the Christians were ones who believed the Christians being scanned were ones who believed um, that some people have divine powers for healing. So that's a really important part of this. And then they were basically read prayers, and so they would have believed that the prayers of some of the people were being read by people who had this power to heal. They were told that this particular prayer is being read by this person yeah. here who has this power. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The upshot of it all is that um, there were differences in the brain activity between the people who were who are religious and the people who are not this is the people being scanned um, and it's the parts of the brain which the researchers say are um, play a role in vigilance and skepticism when judging the truth this is fabulous um, so these were these regions these regions of the brain were diminished or the activity was diminished um, when the um, subjects were listening to a supposed healer this is the religious subjects were listening to a supposed healer um, but less let this less diminished activity when the speaker was just a normal Christian and so it's all to do about um, influence basically and so there's essentially what they're saying is that when you uh, believe in something very strongly these kind of bits of your brain shut off when you're listening to somebody who's who's essentially telling you what you want to hear almost and and so they I guess they're saying that this is I mean they've done the study on religion but they're they're suggesting that this isn't just religion that it could um, it could apply to uh, doctors or to parents and politicians or as Stephen said James Randi <laughs> so it's about um, kind of charismatic people basically and this gives a mechanism for how um, how it works in the brain it's quite interesting yeah Okay, fantastic. And now we have an interview that we recorded a couple of weeks ago with Lawrence Krauss, is the Foundation Professor in the School of Earth and Space Exploration, a professor in the Physics Department and Director of the Origins Initiative at Arizona State University. He is the author of several best-selling books, including The Physics of Star Trek. Professor Lawrence Krauss, welcome to the cusp. It's great to be here. Can you tell us briefly what it is that you're doing at the moment? I'm sitting here talking to you, but I guess uh, uh, I'm visiting you from New Zealand. Um, here, I've been here to uh, give a series of public lectures around the country, uh, in, in the south, in Dunedin, and here, um, on issues ranging from science and society questions to thinking about science in general. And also meeting and giving lectures in the physics department here and meeting with university people to talk about potential ways to maybe connect what I'm doing with things that are going on in New Zealand and maybe build, build those connections. One of the things that you're doing is Foundation Professor in the School of Earth and Space Exploration and Physics Department and inaugural Director of the Origins Initiative at the Arizona State University. Yeah, it's an incredibly exciting program. I moved to Arizona State to, to, uh, to build a program that looks at everything from the origins of the universe to the origins of the Earth, life on Earth, human origins, origins of culture, cognition, all of these really exciting questions at the forefront of modern ideas, really. Yeah. It sounds really fascinating. It is. What does it involve? What are you actually doing? Well, what we're doing is, um, well, we're building it right now, so it's, it's, it's in the early stages, but we're, we're trying to bring together scientists and scholars to focus on questions, uh, different questions. So questions where, where there, that may be amenable to developments that require people from different disciplines. So, for example, uh, we've run two workshops in the last two months, one on unsolved problems in gravity, where we brought together some of the world's best physicists to think about that. Another one in origins of human uniqueness and behavioral modernity, what it is about that humans makes humans unique. We brought together paleontologists and anthropologists and geneticists and, and psychologists and evolutionary biologists to, uh, 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 and primatologists to talk about 
what is it that, le in an evolutionary sense, that led to humans to their current current situation? And so, you know, we brought people together who aren't used to talking together to see whether new techniques can be applied in the results of one field to another. And 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 so, from a research perspective, we're we're doing that. We're taking we're bringing the best people in the world together to focus on these issues, and we'll continue to do that in a broader sense. We're also built interested in, in, in thinking about new ways of teaching, using origins issues, which are really, as I say, the most exciting questions. They're not just exciting to scholars and scientists, but they're exciting to the public, to use them as a way to teach students at the university level, but also we're going out into the public schools and thinking about new techniques we've applied for grants to try and maybe teach around questions rather than answers. Right. And then also to use origins uh, and the, in the institute in Arizona as a, as a world center for outreach and, and, and understanding hot button issues like evolution and, and the Big Bang and you know maybe climate change other other questions so we can we can use these origins which fascinate the public as a way to get them interested in science and and help lead the public discussion and debate in a way that uh, a way that helps people make the world a better place and to educate them as well yeah which is the same thing it seems to me educating them is part of making the world a better place yeah sure yeah but this is all science based to are the, are the religious people feeling kind of shut out of this? Or? No, well, not the religious people who are interested in knowledge. Uh, it's, it's not science-based, it's knowledge-based. Sure. There, are, there are some religious people who feel knowledge is a threat. Yeah. And the Taliban is one example, but we have a lot of them um, in the United States, that, among the evangelical community, who somehow fear that any knowledge is a threat to belief in God. Those people are, are the enemy of knowledge and therefore the enemy of, of freedom, in my opinion. But but that's not all religious people, and no. and, and and so um, uh, and we we are having, for example, a um, a workshop in November with Cambridge University on the origins of morality, mm. um, and uh, and so I think uh, we're trying to reach out to as broad a group as possible to convince people that, as I've often said, even in certain dialogues with 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 Richard Dawkins, that that. Religion isn't the enemy, in my opinion. Uh, ignorance is the enemy. Mm. Now, sometimes religion breeds ignorance. Yeah. And uh, in fact, uh, unfortunately, too often. Uh, but but intrinsically, the the question is is the really the question is fear of knowledge and fear of science, which which breeds a lot, as I talked about in my lecture. Do you think that religion is perhaps the leading cause of ignorance? <laughs> well, it's hard to know what the leading cause is. It is a it is a major cause. I think. I think greed is a huge cause. Uh, of, you know, what are the, the key question is what are, makes people unwilling to, to to open their minds to believe the evidence of reality, right. and 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 self. You well, it's know, fear, and it's and, and particularly for the climate change side of things, it's greed, I suppose. Yeah, so I think it's greed, and also and, and also fear. I mean, it's also self, you know, survival for for, for third world countries that need to you know try and increase their GDP. So they'd rather. They'd rather not worry about climate change and try and increase the share of the pie. And so I think it's greed, which may be greed, but sometimes greed is just survival at some level. And, sure? and so I think it's a, it, it's our self-preservation or whatever. So I think it, there's many things that lead people to, to, to throw out the evidence of reality. And I think uh, one is a conviction that somehow your inner beliefs are right, mm. and that often comes from religion. Sometimes it comes from political. In my country, there's, there's it's just political conviction that somehow intrinsically certain things are evil. And that just comes from ignorance, and I think it's well. That maybe comes from power. The desire to achieve power often means at the expense of others, mm -hmm. and often means that the easiest way to achieve power is often is often through the ignorance of those over whom you want to control. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, I, I really do think it's a political question of of of, of knowledge 
and democracy versus ignorance and, and, and sort of whatever you want to call it, uh, mm. control from above. And so the greatest threat I think to a democratic, to a democracy is, 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 is the restrictions on knowledge and information. So you gave a public lecture here in Auckland last night. Did you get a sense of the sort of cross-section of people that came along? Are they the normal people who attend a public lecture? Well, if there's ever any normal thing. Um, <laughs> I think that, I think that um, you know, I think I was, it was a friendly audience, let me put it that way. And so, um, you know, I said some provocative things, and I expected in this community that they might not, um, um, I might not produce the kind of reaction. So, yeah, you, I don't know if it was, I wouldn't call it a cross-section of the, of the community, uh, and I don't mind preaching to the converted because part of what I was doing was not just trying to tell them things they already knew, but provide them arguments that they could use when they go out. Because what I'm trying to do is create evangelists for science. Yeah. And and I think that's what we need. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do with our, with our podcast. Too, yeah. So that's, yeah. And, and, and certainly with, with our backgrounds, neither of us are um, highly educated in science, but obviously a big interest in science. Sure. And that's what we need. That's all we need. And, and mm-hmm. I think uh, I think we need people. You know, I, I have a somewhat larger soapbox than some people, I guess, but but uh, but all of us can contribute by going to schools, both of our children, going to their churches, if you attend churches, trying just to talk to people about these issues and get people thinking about them. Mm-hmm. I've got Craig's coming up with some difficult questions. Yes. I'm going to throw you the easy, easy Oh, I see. It's good, man, good cop, bad cop, as we say in the United States. I first heard of you when I read The Physics of Star Trek, uh-huh. and I loved it. It was awesome, because I'm, I'm big into Star Trek. Yeah, right? good. Well, that was one of the reasons I wrote that book, um, yes. Can you tell us a bit about the process of that, why you got into it, maybe? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I certainly didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that what a good idea was till after the fact, I think. Um, I, I wanted to reach a different and broader audience, and I was talking to my editor about possibilities. Her daughter was a trekker. And we joked about it at first, and then on the train home, at the time I taught at Yale University, and I took the train home from New York, and it started to grow on me, and I thought, you know, this might be a neat idea, and, and, but I was worried about losing credibility in this in my, among my colleagues, and, and, I, I, and I feel very strongly that when you're writing popular things, you don't, you, the one thing that you shouldn't do is knowingly mislead, so I, I didn't want to say that anything that isn't true is true. Mm-hmm. And how to write a book, if I'd written a book that said, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, it wouldn't be fun for everyone. So trying to write something to be entertaining and useful was, was the challenge. And once I hit on the, uh, the notion of saying, well, if it's something doesn't work, what I can talk about is something in the real world that does work, that's, that's more interesting, and use Star Trek as a hook to seduce people and learn about the real world. And, and it meant, of course, I also didn't want to alienate the 20 million or so Star Trek fans, and so I had to become an expert, which meant um, four months of being up till five in the morning every night um, watching Star Trek episodes. And, right. and so I could, I could debate and converse with the best of them. And it was an interesting, it was a very interesting experience. And as I say, it wasn't obvious to me what a good idea was till after the fact. And, and, uh, and you know, then I started to get emails from fans right away saying, I've been waiting 20 years for a Star Trek book to be in the science facts section of a bookstore. And, and, and it was a wonderful thing. It was a way to reach out to a very broad audience. And that's what I try and do, I guess, in each of my books uh, or in each of my, everything I do tries to reach out to a different group of people to try and connect science and culture. I just wanted to ask you a few theoretical physics kind of questions oh, and, and, okay. and, and maybe a prediction for the future where you see a grand unified theory being how far in the future. Well, I don't make predictions like that. The people ask me, what's the next great breakthrough? And I say, if I knew, I'd be doing it. <laughs> okay. If we ever do get to a grand unified theory, do you think it'll be intuitive to um, the, the average person? No. 
but right. we can help make things intuitive. Quantum mechanics isn't intuitive to the... I mean, it's not intuitive to scientists, much less the average person. Mm. What we can do is try and... The more we learn, things that seem strange initially, which is what is at the forefront, inevitably when you start to think about them in a different way, they simplify. And eventually, I hope, they'll be, you know, we'll, we'll have a, gain an understanding that we can relate to people who aren't experts mm. and at least present the perspectives. I don't think people need to be experts in grandification, but no. what it may imply for our own origins and... Evolution, and that's why one of my books, Adam, which I did give a public lecture in Dunedin about, is really meant to do that. It's a, like, it's a biography of an individual atom in a glass of water you may be drinking today from, from the beginning of the universe to the end as a way of connecting people to, the, to those issues of grand unification. Because I think people need to, if they're going to be interested in it, they need to have some personal connection to it. And that's why I'm trying to show that. Thank you very much. Okay, good. It's been great I'm, glad, to. I'm glad you found me, and I'm glad we, we did it. And, and thanks for persevering. Thank you very much. You're listening to the cast. So it was a great story we could have um, discussed today. Shakespearean uh, brethren school, uh, yes, sect for teaching King Lear. What Shakespearean tragedy has become high fast after a Christian high school sect a teacher for using morally defiling King Lear text in class? Suzette Martin, 40, was sacked from the private Westmount School in Kirikiri for teaching her Year 13 students from a modern version of the play. And um, her contract with the school also barred her from encouraging her students to go on to university. What? <laughs> the hell sort of school is it? Um, um, uh, Christian Exclusive Brethren. Oh, Exclusive Brethren. Ah, uh, um, okay. Yeah, I was just amazed. So we'll do the word of the day. Today's word of the day is... Oh, I'm going to do two. Allow me two. Oh, okay. Are they related? Yes, yeah, yeah, they are. Fooliamini, collective term for fools, and a foolocracy, government by fools. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a tautology, government by fools? (laughs) Ah, yes, well done, probably is. And uh, Craig, have you got a quote for us, please? Oh, of course, I've always got a quote. This one comes from Richard Feynman, who was a well-known American physicist specialising in quantum mechanics. And basically it's about the the scientific method. In general, we look for a new law by following the process. First you guess. Don't laugh, this is the most important step. Then you compute the consequences. Compare the consequences to experience. If it disagrees with experience, the guess is wrong. And that simple statement is the key to science. It doesn't matter how beautiful your guess is, or how smart you are, or what your name. If it disagrees with experience, it's wrong. That's all there is to it. Richard Feynman. All right, you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a message or ask us a question, check out the Contact Us form on our website, thecusp.org.nz. Mm-hmm.